Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby Podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast contains graphic details you may find distressing. Today on the Indo-Daily, the Kevin Lunny assault trial verdict. For man a businessman, Kevin Lunny was abducted, tortured and dumped at the side of the road in 2019. I was able to see the light of a house, a window of a house. I don't know how far it was. I, I couldn't, maybe 200 metres. But I've seen it and as I said, I have to try and get to that. I remember stopping a few times because I just couldn't go any further. And I remember thinking about the kids, Brona, everything. And I was thinking, I don't think I'll make this. But I did keep going. I kept pushing. Three men, Alan O'Brien, Darren Redmond and YZ, who can't be named for legal reasons, were found guilty of false imprisonment and causing Kevin Lunny serious harm. One man, Luke O'Reilly, was acquitted. Kevin Lunny was a director of QIH, Quinn Industrial Holdings. He and other directors of the company were targets of a long-running campaign of violence. He says, you know why you're here? And I said, no. And he said, um, he said, it's because of QIH and you're going to resign. And he said, give me your side of your face. Give me your face. And he took the standing knife and he just went five or six scrapes down each side. So he said, just so that you remember why you're here, he said QAH. The company now known as Manock was once owned by Sean Quinn, formerly Ireland's richest man before he was declared bankrupt in 2011. I'm Fiona Sheen and you're listening to the Indo Daily. Today I'm talking to Irish independent reporters Robin Schiller and Andrew Phelan about the brutal attack on Kevin Lunny and the turbulent and complicated Quinn company history. Robin, who is Kevin Lunny? Well, Kevin Lunny is um, a businessman from Canali in County Fermanagh. And he was at the time and still is the chief operations manager of what was known as Quinn Industrial Holdings, QIH. It's in changed to Manock, but at the time it was known as QIH. And he essentially was part of a consortium that took over that business in 2014. It was kind of a conglomerate from the old Quinn group. And that, I suppose, takeover led to a lot of blab wood in the area and would have been a subject of a lot of threats and intimidation. And this kind of culminated in this attack on him in September 2019. And Andrew, describe to me what happened to Kevin Lunny on the day of this attack. Well, Kevin Lunny was driving back to his home from work in Derry Lane County, Fermanagh, on the day. 
he saw a strange car in the laneway that leads up to his house. It was a light-coloured BMW. Now, this BMW rammed his Jeep and two men in balaclavas ran out. Before he had a chance to react, uh, he was dragged out and a third man arrived in a black Audi. The boot was opened, a knife was put to his throat and this man said, get into that, meaning the, the boot of the Audi. Mr. Lunny tried to fight them off, but he was bundled into the boot and driven, uh, he figured, in a south direction. Mr. Lunny attempted to escape at one stage. It was a fairly daring attempt uh, he put up, but he was taken out and beaten in the face with a piece of wood by one of the men. Put back in the Audi, he heard the driver on the phone saying, uh, boss, this man has resisted and we had to hit him. So uh, he was driven uh, to a yard where he was forced into what he figured was a blue horse box. And inside that horse box, he was subjected to um, horrifying um, ordeal of torture for about 45 minutes while his captors were ordering him to resign from Quinn Industrial Holdings and he was told to drop these court cases and injunctions. Uh, one of his three captors then got uh, a Stanley knife and slashed his face saying we had to mark you and uh, his clothes were also cut from him with the same blade and this caused more lacerations uh, on his legs and his body. He suffered what he told Gardy was unreal pain during this ordeal and uh, one of the men then got a wooden bat and uh, broke his leg. Uh, he, he asked, did that snap? And Mr. Lunny called out, yes, but one of the other abductors said no and uh, there was a second blow. Um, so his leg was broken at the shin. The men during this, they repeatedly told him, uh, you're going to resign from Quinn Industrial Holdings. And there were other named directors as well um, that they, they ordered him, to, you know, had to resign. So he begged them not to kill him and he said he'd do whatever they asked. Now, the man with the knife said they'd have to mark him again so he'd remember why you were here, they said. So he took the Stanley knife and scored the initials QIH onto his body from his chest down his abdomen. During the assault, uh, one of the abductors mentioned a problem with the DNA um, and, and Mr. Lunny's fingernails were scraped out with the same knife. Uh, this was hard enough to draw blood and uh, cut his nails as well. Two of the men left the horse box uh, during this ordeal and Mr. Lunny, Lunny was left alone with, with the third. He remembered kneeling in hardened dung, uh, he told the court, and... He asked at one stage if he could stand up to, to get some relief from this, and he was told no. Um, he figured about 15 minutes passed before the other two returned, and something was poured over uh, on his hands and rubbed into the wounds, and he could smell bleach, and he felt it burning into his wounds. He was taken out and bundled into a, a transit van of some description and uh, driven to a roadside in Drum Coghill County Cavan where he was dumped out. He managed to flag down a passing tractor after a, a very uh, excruciating journey uh, up the road, dragging himself along on his broken leg and bleeding, hypothermic. But he got help and this is around 8.45pm, just under two and a half hours after the whole ordeal began. Ultimately, he spent about a week in hospital uh, where he was treated for slash marks to his face and his body and as well as pain and the hypothermia he was suffering. He needed uh, 24 stitches and he underwent surgery to put a pin in his fractured right shin. 
But a month later, uh, the doctors uh, who examined him saw that he, he was still marked. Andrew, there was a massive public outcry and a, and a police investigation on both sides of the border. Ultimately, a bottle of bleach proved to be a key piece of evidence, didn't it? Um, yes, the, the bottle of bleach um, was described by the prosecution as the key that unlocked the whole investigation for the Gardaí. And how this happened was Mr. Lunny had made the observation that, you know, that there was about 15 minutes that had elapsed when two of his abductors had left the horse box where he was tortured um, to go and get bleach. He could smell the bleach when it was brought back. He, he figured, you know, that was what the trip was for. Gardaí were working on a 15-minute time frame. This meant they could narrow their search uh, when they went looking in shops to see who might have been um, buying bleach at that time. So the very next day, um, a Garda called out to Lynch's Gala Shop in Killydoon, um, which isn't too far from where uh, Mr. Lunny was found. And uh, they noticed that there was a missing bottle of bleach on the shelf. Um, when they made inquiries and looked at CCTV, they saw uh, a grey-haired man um, buying the bleach uh, at around a time that, that would have uh, matched what, what Mr. Lunny had said. And uh, this was Luke O'Reilly. He was a local motor parts trader in County Cavan. He's the only one of the, the accused who was not alleged to have been directly involved in Mr. Lunny's kidnap and torture. So he, no interaction at all with Mr. Lunny, it turned out. But he was alleged to have provided material assistance to the kidnappers. Now, when Gardy arrived at his door, he immediately said, oh, you're here because I bought that bottle of bleach. And um, he said he had nothing to hide. He handed over his phone. But what was on that phone... Um, were uh, contacts with um, a Cyril McGuinness, who's also known as Dublin Jimmy. Now, he's known to Gardaí, and he soon became suspected of organising the, the, the whole operation. As well as this contact, uh, Mr. O'Reilly was found to have owned a yard in Drumbraid, which in County Cavan, which is another few kilometres up the road. And when Gardaí looked into this yard uh, during their search, they were able to see uh, a blue horse box that, that, that was just visible from the road. And tests on the inside of this horse box showed that uh, Mr. Lunny's blood was in there. So this was now the crime scene. And uh, Luke O'Reilly uh, became a suspect. So that, that was how he... Uh, so while the Special Criminal Court has acquitted O'Reilly, it was through him that the Gardaí linked the other men to the crime. Effectively from a, a, a bottle of bleach, uh, a timeline, uh, tracing it back to a shop, the, the Gardaí now had what they believed were both suspects and a crime scene uh, going with, with, with this attack. And, and also had, had DNA uh, at the scene. Where else did they go in terms of, of phone evidence then? They were able to go from Luke O'Reilly to, to Dublin Jimmy. Dublin Jimmy, a, a well-known gangster, and he became the, the prime suspect as the organiser of the abduction. But from there then, they were able to bring in other suspects as well. Um, yes, that's right. They, they were able to look at Dublin Jimmy's um, phone records and as well as his contacts with Luke O'Reilly. Um, they were able to see he was in contact with another one of uh, the accused um, whose number that the Gardaí already had. And um, when um, they, they looked at these contacts, they, they began um, establishing that uh, that Dublin Jimmy, they believed, had been the, the link between Luke O'Reilly and the three men who travelled, the three other co-accused, 
who had allegedly travelled up from Dublin um, on the day of the abduction. And going back to, to Luke O'Reilly, what, what, what was his defence really in, in, in this case? Um, yeah, well, Luke O'Reilly, um, his, his defence, first of all, in terms of the yard in Drumbraid, um, was that this yard was unlocked most of the time. He wasn't in it very often. Um, anybody, anybody could have gone in there. Um, he said, you know, yes, he had dealings with Dublin Jimmy over the years, but he said these were business calls that uh, were on his phone and that uh, Mr. McGuinness would uh, source parts for, for him and truck parts in the UK that, that he couldn't get in Ireland. And this is why he was in contact with him. Um, there was no evidence he had any knowledge of what was going to happen to Mr. Lunny. He said he, he said he was shocked when he found out what happened. Um and as for the bleach, he said this was a shopping trip. It was completely innocent uh, purchase for domestic purposes. According to Quinn Industrial Holdings, its directors have been targeted for a number of years in dozens of incidents involving physical assaults, arson attacks and acts of intimidation. They said the abduction and brutal assault on their chief operating officer, Kevin Lunny, is the latest in a series of incidents and have warned of the inevitability of loss of life. And Robin, had Kevin Lunny or other executives in QIH been threatened, intimidated or attacked at that point? They had uh, this, I suppose, this attacking Kevin Lunny was the culmination of about six or seven years of threats and intimidation. Um, it started off in around 2014 with a kind of online campaign and derogatory comments being made about directors and pro Sean Quinn stuff being put out. And it slowly kind of escalated to more men- menacing and sinister threats. I think in one case, uh, a pig's ear was sent to one director. And another case, uh, bullets were sent to another um, member of staff. And it was obviously very kind of serious and sinister threats and do have an effect on people. And that escalated once again then in February 2019, when Kevin Lunny and a colleague were sitting in an apple green station in County Cavan, just having a meal, kind of going about their business, enjoying a bit of lunch. And they were accosted by a trained boxer. He landed several blows on Kevin Lunny's face. He would have poured a, a cup of scalding hot water over him. And, you know, the fact that this was inflicted in broad daylight in a busy shop with CCTV cameras, it kind of showed the extent they were going to, but also the uh, the fact that they were emboldened by what effectively the directors would have said at the time was uh, inaction from the state and from police to protect them. And this is only a few months before we saw the abduction of Kevin Lunny. And so obviously the the board and the executives, they, they were becoming increasingly concerned by these attacks at the time. They were, of course, yeah. Like as, as well as the intimidation, there was also arson attacks and some kind of, you know, in the street, they would have been accosted and threatened. So it was all kind of building up. There's about 60 or 70 different threats. And they had, in the months before the abduction, uh, raised serious concerns with several different authorities on both sides of the board about this. Um, I think including the Guard Commissioner, uh, PSNI chiefs and the Justice Minister and the chairman of QIH, uh, Adrian Barden, actually wrote to Charlie Flanagan, who was the Justice Minister at the time, and kind of outlining these concerns and forewarning essentially that, you know, if these attacks and these, this intimidation campaign continues, we'll be looking at serious injuries. And they also raised concerns about the fact that, you know, there's possible par- paramilitary involvement in this given the border dynamic and not enough was being done to protect them or to investigate these crimes. And he himself said that this had kind of emboldened them, the fact that not a single arrest had been made in relation to these six or seven incidents prior to Kevin Lunny being held against his will and beaten. And can you tell us then, uh, this all ties into a, a, a long-running saga. Tell us about the history of, of QIH and, and how it came about. 
so Quinn Industrial Holdings was set up in 2014 and it was essentially an offshoot of different companies owned by Sean Quinn. Um, now Sean Quinn, I suppose most listeners will probably know who he is, but for those who don't, he was at one stage Ireland's richest man. I think in 2008, Forbes magazine um, had his overall worth at about 4 billion euro or 5 billion euro and he's in the top 200 uh, richest people in the world. So he's a very uh, wealthy man, obviously, but to his downfall, he'd taken out uh, around 28% share in Anglo-Irish Bank. Uh, we know what happened there, obviously, near collapsed. It was um, nationalised in 2009, and he effectively lost all his shares and owed out around 2.8 billion to the bank. And uh, I think four years later, in 2013, he had to file for bankruptcy and lost a lot of businesses, a lot of money. And I suppose QIH, as an offshoot of this, um, was launched by a local consortium of businessmen, including Kevin Lunny, who were backed by US investors. And that, I suppose, it's a very profitable business. It still is now under Manic. But that business launching and effectively ousting Sean Quinn caused a lot of anger locally in Derry Lane and in County Cavan, where uh, Mr. Quinn lives. And I suppose that kind of anger led to these intimidation, uh, this intimidation campaign and these attacks. Important to point out that that Sean Quinn uh, categorically has, has denied any involvement or, or knowledge uh, about this attack. What, what did what was his reaction really to this to, to the abduction and, and torture of Kevin Loney? Uh, well, as he said there, he has been quick several times to kind of condemn all these attacks and remove himself from any kind of way from it. And he is an innocent man. He has no involvement in this kind of stuff, and it's actually damaged his reputation as well. These attacks, which are being done for his benefit, apparently but he's not, he doesn't seem to get into this at all. I'd have no hand, act or part or no knowledge or no gain. I'd have no benefit from doing anything to Kevin Lunny. Kevin Lunny and I were good friends for years. And after the Kevin Lunny attack, he gave it into Channel 4 and he described the, uh, the attack as barbaric. He said you wouldn't do that to an animal. And he said he was uh, this ongoing uh, campaign was not serving any purpose to him, his family or the local community and was causing more damage than anything else to all people involved. And he just condemned it and, you know, was very outspoken and strong about it. And I think his words at the time uh, were supported by several people in QIH that it was kind of, it was very direct in what he said and he didn't mince his words. He condemned it and spoke out against it completely and called for these kind of attacks to stop. I have, a month ago, I had still ambitions to go back in to those offices and sort out Quinn Group. A month ago? A month ago. Not today. And what's changed? In Kevin, a month. Kevin Lunny. Kevin Lunny. We spoke to... People um, can say whatever they want about me, but I don't want to be seen as uh, being the beneficiary of abuse or of criminal, criminal activity. The locals are also very angry about what they've done to me, throwing me out the gate, giving me nothing, sacking me. They're very, they're very, very angry. But do you, do you genuinely think, Sean, that they're angry to the extent that they would set cars on fire, set factories on fire, and abduct and torture a man? Do well, you genuinely in your heart of heart think well, if that you, that is the calibre of the people that live around here? I don't think so, no. So but, where is it coming from? Well, you ask, you tell me. Now, one individual that, that came to prominence as a result uh, of, of this assault and the subsequent investigation was a man, a gangster, Cyril McGuinness, known as, as Dublin Jimmy. Uh, he became the main suspect in the organisation of this uh, abduction. He died of a heart attack after English police raided his own safe house in, in the UK. What else do we know about Dublin Jimmy? 
Dublin Jimmy Cyril McGuinness would have been born in Swords and Gardy do certainly believe he was the organiser of this attack, the orchestrator who would have hired or got the several people on the ground involved in it. People who would have known him from school days, even in junior, senior infants, would have said he was a bad egg and he was only gone one way. He would have been seen as a bully and would have shoved his weight around even that young and in you know, primary school and secondary school. And it's no surprise, I suppose, that people knew him when he was younger at the way he ended up. Um, in the 2000s, he was involved in the illegal waste dumping business. I think he faced, at some stage in late 2008 or nine around 44 charges emanating from that. And what the investigation showed was that he was dumping tons and tons of legal waste in the Republic of Ireland, Scotland and Northern Ireland. And I think the assets over or the profits they made in a 21 period was something like 2.8 million. So we certainly making a lot of money from this. Um, he was kind of a shooting that way, you know. He, While he was a criminal, he was also very financially motivated and knew how to make money off crime. Um, and from that illegal waste dumping business, he kind of evolved into ATM thefts. Uh, they started off along the border and I think they had 12 or 13 successful operations, so I'd call them in a few months and it emboldened them to kind of move more to the Munster region and Kerry in particular as a place he would have targeted once or twice. So he was involved in all sorts of crime in Ireland and I think kind of in the late noughties he would have went on a more continental scale and become involved in uh, the theft of plant machinery on an industrial scale and he was known in 11 different jurisdictions uh, including Germany, Holland, Serbia, Switzerland, nearly every European country or every country on the continent. And he would have amassed millions and millions from doing that. And I think special operation had to be put in place because his gang was so prolific in what they did. And the operation, Operation Segunda, was launched. And during that, uh, as a result of that investigation, I think around 7 million euro worth of plant machinery seized. And in Belgium, then the law finally caught up with Cyril McGuinness and he was jailed for a number of years in 2011. Um, now, unfortunately, whatever happened with that sentence, it was meant to be seven years. He got out after two or three and was back active again, and his next port of call, I suppose for want of a better word, was engaging this intimidation campaign against the QOH directors. And that's what he basically stuck at for the next few years. And, you know, Gardy certainly do believe he was paramount to the abduction of Kevin Loney and other crimes. And the law again caught up with him in England a few weeks after Kevin Loney's abduction, but it was kind of ironic that this, you know, big bad gangster who would have made a living off intimidating, harassing and just making people's lives hell, when the police knocked his door, he, when his back was against the wall, he couldn't take it and, you know, he took ill, he had a suspected heart attack and he died there and then. And it's a shame in a way that, you know, the court on Monday, there was a number of people in the dock, but unfortunately Cyril McGuinness wasn't one of them to finally face justice. That was Robin Schiller and Andrew Phelan. I'm Fiannan Sheehan and today's episode was produced by Mary Carroll recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound designed by John Smith. Archive clips from independent.ie, the BBC and Channel 4. You can listen to the Indo Daily wherever you get your podcasts.